Okay, good morning, gentlemen. Welcome back. Um, it is Thursday morning. Generally, Thursday morning, we have our regular morning um, class at this lot. Der Hashem, we usually do in the morning. This particular week, in this particular Thursday morning, we're going to be doing a, a bit of a switcheroo. This evening, we're not having our regular Thursday night Chumash and Shalom here. So we can't go into Parsha's boy without having Chumash. So we're going to do the Chumash now this morning, as was announced. The message went out. So... Uh, Let's do a little bit of Parsha's boy over here. Let's see what's going on here in the Parsha. And Parsha's boy gives us the last and final opportunity to dwell on a recurring theme that we see throughout all the last few Parshas, Shemois of Eiro, and culminating in boy, a theme that is particular to the discussions between Moshe and Paro in trying to get the Yidin out of Mitzrayim. And it's quite interesting that throughout all the ten plagues, now Moshe keeps approaching Paro, Seven out of the ten times, and um, telling Paro it's time you got to let the yidn out. You got to let the yidn out. And there are times that Paro just flat out refuses. And he says, "No, I'm sorry, nothing doing." But there are times, especially as the makas progress, that Paro actually seems interested in working with Maisha, but he's negotiating, negotiating. As the makas begin to get more intense. And the heat is up, the heat is turned on over here, and the heat is quite uh, uncomfortable for power for Mitzrayim. So he begins to say, okay, so Maisha, tell, let, let me hear what you want, Maisha. Let's hear. Who, who, you know, I, I understand you guys want to go into the desert, you want to celebrate with your God, you want to bring some sacrifices. Let, let's, let's hear what's going on. Let, let's hear what you have in mind. And Maisha says, well, we're going to go with our elders, with our youth, with our sons, with our daughters, and with our sheep. And cattle, and we're going to go into the desert, three-day journey, we're going to sacrifice to God. And on more than one occasion, several times, when this is the response, so Paro mixes things. And Paro says, well, okay, but I'll tell you, Moshe, the men can go, the women can go, can't go. The elders can go, the youth can't go. You can go, you can't take the animals. Three times, three different places, three different occasions, Paro, um, here's Moshe's request. And Paro nixes Moshe's request, and he, he modifies. He says, "You can't do it that way, but you, this way you could do it. It's okay if you take the 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 youth." And each time he kind of does give an explanation. He says, um, "The men should go ki of action because you're going to worship your God. So you know, men worship, not women." Um, and that he says, "Don't take the kids because I see it's going to be dangerous." Ru ki ra or he says. Um, before Makas Bechayrus, Rak Tzaynchem Uvakarchem Yutzog, the cattle have to stay here, the sheep have to stay here. That doesn't really get much of an explanation. That's a little bewildering to figure that one out because they were requesting to celebrate, in, you know, for God, before God. How are they going to do it without their cattle, without the sheep? But again, power modifies the request. So the women can't go, the men could go, the youth can't go, the elderly can go. You can go, the cattle can't go. And we see this a lot of times, that, that, that Paro says, okay, I'm willing to talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. And he negotiates. And each time he negotiates, he sits down to the table to tell Moshe what he is willing to do, what he is interested in doing. So Moshe each, each time says, no, Paro, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're uh, quite clear about this. We're all going to go. The men, the women, the youth, the elderly, the sheep, the cattle, all of us are going, Paro. And he refuses to... to um, to accept Paro's deal, Paro's counter offer. And the question we have to ask is the following. What's the lesson over here? 
And what's the, um, what's the point? What's this insight into Paro? And, and really the best way, the simplest way of asking this is, well, what exactly is Paro doing? What's going on up there? Um, you know, Paro is really ready to let the Jews go. It's clear, because he's ready to talk. It's not that, it's not the Peshat. It's like a misconception to say that till the very end, Paro was steadfastly refusing to let the Yidin go. It's not true. There came a point where he said, okay, the men can go. And he, he happily would have let the men go if Meisha would have accepted that. There came a point where he said, okay, the, 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 the men and the women can go, but just the elderly, not the youth. That's the, you know, the, the, uh, the adults, not the children. There came a point where he said, the adults can go, the children can go, the men and the women, just not the, not the cattle. There are three different times that he was prepared to really let the Yidin go. But for some reason, for some reason, it was like a negotiation. And it was Paro modifying things and sitting down at the table and saying, this is what, this is, you can go, but this is what, how it's, it's going to work for me. If you go this way, this is what I'm willing to let you do. So he, he was willing to talk and he was quite prepared to let the Jews go, you know, 50%, 75%, 85%, 95%, everybody except the sheep and the cattle. And even if he called that 90%. 100% the Yidni was willing to go, just not, none, none of the animals. Where, where, where's Pah coming from? Like, like Manavshach, as we would say in Talmudics, like, hard to figure this out. If he's capitulating, and he's, you know, taka, indeed, ready to, to, to give in, so just give in all the way. Um, and if he's, not willing to give in, so why is he giving in at all? What's, what's Paro doing again and again and again in meeting Moshe halfway? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Why, if he's willing to work with Moshe now because of the crazy situations in Mitzrayim, so work all the way. Do what Moshe wants. Why does he have to keep modifying the deal and changing things around a little bit and asking Moshe, what do you want? You know, giving his counter offer. Why doesn't he do that? And second of all, what's the significance of this being so thematic in the whole, the whole, the whole, uh, development and story of the Yitzhiya Sinsarim? What's the lesson that the Torah is giving us? Why is this included and incorporated in the whole Yitzhiya Sinsarim? So these are the two different ways of approaching the same issue over here. What's going on? How do we make sense? Of this, this critical detail this, that, that keeps so critically, keeps coming up again and again and again in understanding Pyro, why Pyro keeps, you know, doing this and <coughs> how this, um, gives us insight and what, what the Torah's lesson knows over here in, in, uh, the significance of this vis-a-vis the story and the d- development of ETS and Shrine. So it's like this. Really, if we take a step back and maybe so far back that we can already see next week's Parsha, Things come together quite clearly. What what the Torah wants over here, where Paro is coming from, and respectively where Moshe is coming from in representing Kadosh Baruch Hu, why Paro is holding out for his deal, working the, with, with with his modifications, and why each time Moshe doesn't accept that deal. Which really, I didn't speak that as a question. It was a little implicit over here. You know why why is it that Moshe keeps refusing to accept Paro's offer? No, well, why can't you accept Paro's offer? A little Rachmanus and Paro. You know, all you really, Paro's right, you don't really want the sheep and the cattle, you just want the yin. So let, uh, let all the yin go and let, let the sheep and the cattle stay behind. Like Moshe, but you really, you gotta, you gotta like, uh, you know, shtach and as we say, you really gotta, you gotta, you gotta make him miserable. Paro's willing to talk, he's willing to let all the yin out. How come we can't accept his final offer? Why not accept his final offer? 
So what's happening is like this. If we, if we take such a far step back that we see next week's Pasha, next week's Pasha is B'Shalach, Shabbos Shira, Shabbos Shira, Shabbos of Song, the first year anniversary of the building of Oratara, right? That's right, B'Shalach marks there. Anniversary of moving into our new building, it's exciting, exciting Shabbos, Shabbos of Song and Praise, but... It's called Shabbos Shira because this is where the Jews sang the song at the sea. And uh, let's look at the very opening line of uh, Shira's Hayam. So Moshe and the Yidin sang the song Takash Baruch and they said, Ashir Lashem ki ga'oi ga'o. This is after they left Mitzrayim, after the Ten Makas, after Kriyas Yamsuf comes with this, this fury and this coda and this, you know, this conclusively wrapping up that whole saga of Egypt with such a display of Hashem's might that the Jew, the remaining Mitzrayim are, are drowned in the sea as the Jews escape to the other side. So we praise Hashem, we sing to Hashem, we say, Ashir Lashem. The first praise that we give is Ki Ga'oi Ga'a. Ga'oi Ga'a. Hashem is Ga'oi Ga'a. A double Lushan, a, a um, doubling over here of Ga'oi Ga'a. What does that mean? Hashem is Ga'a and Ga'a. Ga'a is obviously related to the word Gaiva, which means haughty, proud, mighty. And Targum Unkulis says the following. What does it mean? Hashem, Hashem, Gaiva, usually haughtiness is something that's usually that's usually, uh, has a bad connotation. To have haughtiness, hubris, pride. But Hashem is go'oi go. Hashem is, is, is haughty, is proud. Since when do we, you know, ascribe such terms to Hashem, which these are usually negative ideas, and, and there's this doubling. Go'oi go. Hashem is proud and proud, haughty and haughty. So Targum Unklis says the following idea, which really is a key that unlocks so much of understanding the whole the whole process of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Says Unklus. V'amru l'meimran, n'shabach v'noidi kar Hashem, let us praise and give thanks before Hashem, arei, mizgoi al gave sonayo, v'geusa dilehi. Hashem is, mizgoi al gave sonayo. Hashem is, haughty over the haughty. Hashem is proud over the proud, over the prideful. And true pride belongs only to the Rebbein Shalalim. So, Unklis, um sums up for us and explains for us why this is a double lushan of Ga'oi Ga'o. Hashem is haughty and haughty, proud and proud. Why, why the doubling? And, um, well, I missed something? And um, why is there a double lushan over here? And why are we describing Hashem as being proud, prideful, or haughty altogether? So it says Unklis, Ga'oi Ga'o means Hashem is haughtier than the haughty, prouder than the proud, and true pride is only the Rebbein <laughs> What does it mean he's haughtier than the haughty, he's prouder than the prideful, and pride is really only his? We're referring to Paro. Referring to Paro. What we see in this Pasuk over here is that a number of things. We see that Paro, the Torah is being quite clear, is described as someone who is a tremendous Balgaiva, 
Paro is someone who's haughty. Paro is someone who's prideful. Paro is someone who, you know, is, is a braggart, that boasts about himself, um, is conceited. That's Paro. And Hashem, though, is mightier than him, is haughtier than him, is above him. Go'oi go'o. So, taking that further, if we understand this correctly, the Yetzirah Mitzrayim is, in a certain sense, all about exposing the fact that Hashem is haughtier than the haughty, is prouder than the prideful, is above even the proudest, the most conceited Balgaiva, and true pride really belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's really what Yitzhak Mitzrayim was all about, to make this display. There's many ways we could have gotten the Jews out of Mitzrayim. We could have done it right away. We needed 10 Makas plus a Kriyas Yamsuf. The Rebbeim really wants the Jews out of Egypt. If the Rebbeim really wants the Jews out of Egypt, then then you can just take them out of Egypt. And there's a lot of ways of getting the Yudin out of Egypt. We need 10 Makas. We need Kriyas Yamsuf. We need this whole, you know, there's a, the, 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 the Chazal tell us that the the the, um, the whole saga lasted an entire year. All the 10 Makas and then Karim Pesach and leaving Egypt. The whole thing from beginning to end was an entire year. We didn't need this year's worth of activity and excitement in, in Egypt. We could have gotten away with it immediately. We could have had everybody leave right away. Why do we have this whole process and this whole this whole um, this whole development of Jesus' time? Part of it is to take the the proudest person out there, the haughtiest person out there, the most conceited <laughs> person out there, Paro. And put power in his place. That's part of what we're doing with the Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's why we need so many makas to put power in his place. Let's understand that. Power is a Baal Gaiva. And we have to put the Baal Gaiva in his place by showing him that true Gaiva is really the Rebbeinah Shalalims. That brings us back to the question eight that we just asked earlier. Go, go, that, that, um, that, uh, true Gaiva belongs to the Rebbeinah Shalalim, Gaiva normally is something that has a bad connotation, a Baal Gaiva. Oh, that guy is such a Baal Gaiva. Such a Baal Gaiva. We would say on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that he's a Baal Gaiva. Yes, Uncle is saying, go, go, Hashem is the greatest Baal Gaiva. HaKadosh be a Baal Gaiva, we know. To be, a Baal Gaiva is such a negative, such a bad, bad connotation. That person's so conceited, he's so stuck up, he is so much pride. So the answer is like this. Gaiva is bad when it's by anyone but the Rebbeinah Shalaylam. When Gaiva is ascribed to Kodesh Baruch Hu, then it's a good thing. How so? Why is that? Why is that? Gaiva, what does Gaiva mean? Why is Gaiva so awful when someone's a Baal Gaiva? When someone, a person, a human being, is a Baal Gaiva, when he's conceited, the root of the character trait that we call Gaiva, pride, conceit, haughtiness, Hubris, the root of that is when a person has the conviction and has the belief that there's something that makes him inherently and intrinsically better than everyone else because of his um, advantages, because of his strengths, because of of, uh, because of his, his powers and capabilities. So let me say that again. Gaiva is when a person, due to the fact that he sees, you know, I'm, I'm a smart person, I'm a strong person, I'm a wise person, I'm a clever person, I'm a fast person. A- as a result of all the properties that he sees within himself, the traits that he has, 
He says, and therefore, being that I'm smarter than everyone else, and I'm wiser than everyone else, and I'm stronger than everyone else, I'm faster than everyone else, I'm richer than everyone else, I deserve preferential treatment. That's what Gaiva really is. Gaiva is not believing that you're endowed with, with strengths and talents. Gaiva is not believing that, that, Baruch Hashem, I'm intelligent, Baruch Hashem, I'm strong, Baruch Hashem, I'm wealthy, Baruch Hashem, I'm, 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 uh, swift and talented. That's not Gaiva. Recognizing that you're unique, that you have talents and strengths, that's okay. That's not Gaiva. Gaiva is when there's a therefore. Therefore, I deserve preferential treatment. Therefore, I deserve to be noticed. Therefore, I deserve to be recognized. Therefore, everyone has to acknowledge the fact that I'm so smart. Everyone has to acknowledge the fact that I'm so wealthy. Everyone has to acknowledge the fact that I'm so strong. I have to have a fan base. I have to have followers. I have to have people aware of the great question that I just asked. I just asked, ah, did, you, did you know that I just asked that question? I have to have to, everyone has to notice the fact that I figured out what that commentary is going to say before he even said it. I have to make sure everyone notices that. I need recognition. I need acknowledgments. I need everyone to understand that. I need everyone to know that. I need preferential treatments. I need to stand out. That's Gaivo. That's already Gaivo. Everybody understand? Not knowing that you're talented and, and have strengths. And, no, that's not Gaivo. Gaivo is the therefore. Therefore, I deserve to be revered, respected. I need a fan base. I need followers. I need my poster on everybody's wall. I have to be treated differently. I have to be recognized and acknowledged. That's already Gaivo. And that's a negative trait, but that's only a bad trait when it shows up in human beings. When it shows up in Akash Baruch, it's not a negative trait. Why is that? Because when it shows up in human being, when I say, I am smarter, I am stronger, I am wiser, I am wealthier than everyone else, and therefore you have to treat me differently, therefore is a giveaway that I believe that this all came from me. I believe it came from me. I believe that I'm really responsible for all this. I believe it's 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 um, indicative of who I am, and and um, makes me inherently inherently a better person, a a um, stronger person. And a person who deserves more attention than everyone else. I believe it changes who I am, and 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 it makes it, and and um, it's it's a property inherent to me myself, and um, it's something that I, if I believe I deserve, let's just say it this way, maybe, if I believe I deserve preferential treatments based on my talents and my strengths. What I'm saying is that my talents and strengths are something that I own. They're part of me, and I'm responsible for them. I'm 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 um, the catalyst. They came from me. They belong to me. They're part of me, and therefore respect me for it, acknowledge me for it. And it's the very opposite. A, a yid has talents, has strengths, things that make him better than everyone else. That's true, but ultimately. He doesn't deserve any preferential treatments. That can't be his mindset. That can't be his attitude, because ultimately, yeah, he may have he, he may have um, worked hard, maybe to accumulate knowledge. He may have put an effort, you know, to build up his muscles, to become strong, to become talented, 
at uh, whatever you know, sports game he's talented at, he may put in the effort, but ultimately, the payoff is coming from Hashem. And the, the intelligence is coming from Hashem, and the strength is coming from Hashem, and the wealth is coming from Hashem. Hashem is making good on his efforts. Hashem is certainly making good on his efforts. But the payoff is coming from the Rebbein Shalayim, not from within. Hashem accepted his efforts. And Hashem says, okay, you put in efforts, I will... I will decide to send you the brains. I will send you the strength. I will send you the courage. I will send you the wisdom. But it's coming from Akash Baruch. The results are coming from the Rebbeinu Shalom. That's the case. I am. Fortunate. To have received all this from Akash Baruch. And when I have the right way of looking at things. When I have clarity on the matter. Clarity on the topic. I am as we say humbled. I humbly accept all these gifts from Hashem. They're not part and parcel of me, myself. They're not something that's, that is, that is, uh, you know, properties of, of myself. I'm not inherently uh, a smarter, wealthier, wiser person. I was lucky to receive all this from Hashem. Yes, I worked for it. It's true. But it was gifted to me and granted to me from Kosh Baruch and he didn't have to give it to me. Even with my efforts. But he decided to. That's anova. That's humility when I recognize and realize that all my strengths and talents don't make me inherently a better person than anyone else because it all came from Akash Rogan. And the Rebbein decided to, to, to allocate this to me. I humbly accept it. I humbly accept it. I don't need that recognition. I'm not looking for that recognition because I don't believe that I am someone who needs to be recognized. I humbly, happily accept it as a very fortunate recipient from the Rebbein Shalalem. The Balgaiva is the one who believes that no, he is inherently better than everyone else. And it is for something that has to do with he and he himself. This is part and parcel of who he is. And he has to be recognized. He has to be acknowledged. He has to be revered. He has to be worshipped. Because he's inherently better than everyone else. And that's the problem with the Balgaiva. Because there's only one object in creation which is inherently better than everyone else. Only one concept in all of the universe which is smart because he is inherently smart wise because he's inherently wise and a self-contained independent source of all accolades is only one concept like that and that's three by Shalom HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only notion in existence which is inherently um, perfect and inher- inherently uh, better than everything else, and inherently in possession of all the superlatives, only the Rebbein Shalom. And that's why Gaiva, when it's by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is a good thing. Because Gaiva means, I am who I am, because uh, that's who I am. I'm inherently better than everyone else. <clears throat> that's the Peshat, the Gemara says, interesting Gemara, in the Sechah that says, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he sees a Baal Gaiva, he says, there's not enough room in the universe for, for both of us. Not enough room in this universe for both of us. Hashem tells that to the Baal Gaiva. Why does Hashem tell that to the Baal Gaiva? The Gemara says the Baal Gaiva pushes the feet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of, out of reality. Pushes the feet of the Rebbe out of existence. Why does the Baal Gaiva do that? Because the Baal Gaiva is trying to compete with God. The Baal Gaiva is trying to make himself God. The Baal Gaiva is saying, yeah Hashem, you are inherently to be respective. You're an inherent source of, of perfection. I, I am too. You should know. I am also. I also deserve to respect because look how smart I am. Shaita, Hashem made you smart. Doesn't make you any more deserving of respect. I, I deserve respect because I'm wealthy. Shaita, the wealth comes from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Shaita, 
It makes you better. You have to be recognized. You have to be acknowledged. When the Baal Gaiva thinks that way, then yes, he's pushing Hashem out of this world. Because there's only room for one Hashem. There's Hashem's Echad Ushmai Echad. There's only one Akash Baruch This person feels, he has these, you know, delusions of grandeur over here. He's also Akash Baruch Hu. Yemashem looks at this guy and says, ain't enough room in this universe for both of us. Not enough room for both of us over here. This is what the Baal Gaiva is. The Baal Gaiva is the one who, um, he is the source of everything. Everything begins and ends with him. He is the can-all-do-all, and he is who he is because of that. That is who he is. There's no... He is the ultimate authority. He is the supreme authority. He is not dependent on God. He's not dependent on anyone. He is who he is because that's who he is. And that's a problem when we ascribe that to any any mortal, anyone outside of Gosh Baruch Hu. So this is the problem of the Balgaiva. Now, and getting back to the Parsha. Paro is described as the premier Balgaiva. Paro claimed to be a god. Paro would go out into the Nile every morning to relieve himself, take care of his duties in the Nile. No known Shachas Hashem see him relieving himself. That would be a fault, a shortcoming. He's a god. He doesn't have to, uh, you know, he doesn't have to flush his, uh, his his bowels. Doesn't have to do that. He's a god. Good. Paro was a tremendous Balgaiva. We see, say in the Haftorah of Parsha Shmois, Vo'era, Lia Yeor Sini. To the Nile is mine, and I, I made myself. That's the literal translation of the Pasuk, right? I'm God of the Nile, I'm God of Egypt. Paro was a tremendous Balgaiva. Paro was someone who needed that respect, commanded that respect, and saw himself as inherently um, someone to be respected. Be respected. And part of Isis Mitzrayim is to destroy, not just Egypt, but to destroy the Gaiva of Paro. To crush Paro and his Gaiva and to have Paro submit himself to God and sub- subject himself to God. That's part of what we need when we go out of Mitzrayim is for Paro to bring this tikkun to Egypt, bring this tikkun to all those who have observed Paro and bring this tikkun down to the world of Gaiva flipping over into Anava, going from pride and haughtiness to humility. This is what we need power to do in terms of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The haughty, the mighty, have to subjugate themselves, have to subject themselves to the will of God, have to bend and yield to God, and make this statement of clarity that I'm not who I thought I was, I'm not who I claimed and professed to be, I'm not inherently perfect, I'm not inherently better than everyone else. God, you're the ultimate authority, and I submit and I yield myself to your authority. I'm not the authority, you're the authority. We need power to do this. And all the Makkas is one long process in step by step by step trying to get Paro closer and closer and closer to doing that. He holds out to the very end. And what we have from the Makkas is such a, a very clear but an ugly, ugly insight into understanding the mind of the Balgaiva and, and how the Balgaiva, the person of conceit, the person of haughtiness, of pride, how they work. We have such an ugly insight over here. And this is what's going on as when we, in our opening question over here. As to why we have this again and again and again and again and again, um, Paro working with Maisha, making these counter offers, which Maisha refuses. Maisha says, "We're going to go," and Paro says, "Okay, who's going?" 
No, no, no. The, 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 the youth can't go. The kids can't go. The adults can go. No, the women can't go. The men can go. No, the, the sheep can't go. Only the people can go. Why is power keep doing this? Like arbitrarily. Like just arbitrarily saying, they can go, but not them. They can't go, but they could go. Just, you know, Lamana Shem, Paro said, let them go already. As we asked earlier. What's he doing? The Teretz is, Paro is desperately clinging to his position as a Balgaibo. He feels what's going on over here. He feels this, he feels this pressure, not just on Egypt, you know, roiling in this mass destruction, but he feels this pressure of Hashem's authority commanding him to submit to Hashem's authority, breaking down his gaiva, breaking down his stubbornness, clinging steadfastly to his position as a Baal gaiva, making himself the authority, making himself an inherent source, an inherent, someone to be inherently respected. He feels that pressure that of, 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 of trying to break his gaiva and convert it to anava, and he's desperately holding out against it. The Baal gaiva, Rabbi say. The Baal gaiva, the person who can't let go of his gaiva, can't let go of his haughtiness, his conceit, his pride, he will inevitably do this. Something may make total sense. Something, a suggestion may come his way that will make total sense. An idea will come his way that, 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 yes, it's clear that this is what has to be done right now. But someone who has gaiva issues, someone who has issues of conceit, of pride, will never be able to really totally 100% accept someone else's idea. There's always going to have to be a little bit of a knetch, a little bit of a madakish. That's a great idea. I think you should also just also do this. It could be something very random, something very arbitrary, something very indiscriminate. But it would be thrown in there. Why? Because even if this is like a 1% of a little thing, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's great, it's amazing, but, but also do this. But maybe don't do that or do this a little bit more. It could be a, a complete narishkeit, a complete... You know, unnecessary little modification, but the point is, when that's thrown in, he's preserved his guy of his pride, because now it's on his terms. He's not accepting someone else's idea. He's not listening to someone else. He's not hearing an idea from someone else and saying, Taka, that's a great idea. No, 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 because it's his idea. <laughs> it's his idea now. It's his idea, because he threw in a little, uh, knetch over there. A little modification. Threw in a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And if I say, if you listen to people, People give themselves away. People will do this. People that have gaiva issues, you'll see this. They will do this. People that can't get rid of, let go of their need for acknowledgement, need for respect, need for recognition, they will invariably and inevitably always do this. You'll you'll never hear them say, Taka, that's a great idea. We should do that. I like that. That's a good idea. They'll never grant you that. They'll never say, that was an amazing kasha. Wow, that's a great kasha. I never thought of that. That was an amazing kasha. And I was really about to ask that myself. That was mine, not yours. That was a great teretz, and that's exactly exactly what I was about to say. And now it's mine, it's not yours. It's, it's mine. It's mine. I, I maintained my gaiva. I didn't have to give up my gaiva. I didn't have to submit to anybody. This is paro. This is why there's these random, uh, arbitrary, arbitrary modifications don't make any sense. The last one doesn't make any sense as we pointed out. The men, should, men can all go, the men, the women, the children, and the elderly, they can all go, but the animals have to say, the animals have to say, that's what they're doing, they're doing, they're going to bring sacrifices to God. Paro, what are you thinking? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but that way, Paro is the one that's still in charge. Paro is the one who's still the authority over here. Paro's not submitting to anyone. And it's really all a trick. As we mentioned earlier, contrary to how we mentioned earlier, in one of the opening questions we said, you know, Paro seems to be, time and time and time again, 
like ready to ready to bargain, ready to deal, ready to negotiate, ready to give in. He's giving in. He's letting the Yid go. Why didn't Maisha accept the offer? He's saying the men can go. Maisha, take, grab it. The women can go also. Grab it. The, the adults can go. Grab it. The youth can go. Grab it. He, he's, he's giving in to Maisha. Why is Maisha not grabbing it? Well, Maisha has to hold out just to 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 um, make power wallow in misery. He has to hold out for the animals also. Terrence's power was never giving in. He never gave in once. He never, ever, 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 ever gave in. What would it mean to give in? What would it mean to give in? To yield to God. To submit to God. Say, God, okay, whatever you want. I, I, I'm here to do whatever you want. That's giving in. God, I'm here to do whatever you want. Par not once ever gave in. Even when he said everyone can go except for the sheep and the cattle, he wasn't giving in. What he was saying is, yeah, I'll send the Jews out, but on my terms. On my terms. I'll do it on my terms. I'm not listening to God. I'm not subjecting myself to God. I'll do it the way I want to do it, how I want to do it, the way it makes sense to me. I'll do it on my terms. Not on God's terms. He's not giving it to God at all. Not at all. Even at the very end, when he's saying the sheep and the cattle will stay, he's not giving it to God. He's saying, I'm going to do it on my terms. He's still the Baal Gaiva. He's still holding out for his own authority, his own supreme position over here. He's still pushing God out of the universe. And Maisha says, I'm sorry, Paro. I'm not willing to do this because the whole point of Jesus' trying, you see, at the time, is for you to give in to God. For you to give in to the Rebbe, and for you to yield to Hashem and to go from Gaiva to Anava. That's why we have to hold out till the very, very, very end over here. And when Paro finally gets broken down and he lets everybody go, Kako, what does he say? When he, at the end of this week's parasha, he finally lets everyone go. Um, Paro says the following. Yes. Vayikul Amaishul Aaron Lilo. After all the Bukharis, all the firstborns were, 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 were killed at midnight, Vayomer, he said, Kumutsu mitoichami, Maisha, get out of here. Gamatem. You, Gambanesol, Gans, Kleiso, Uluhu Evdus Hashem, go worship God, Kidaberichem, as you said. On your terms. Taka, go on your terms. Finally, after Makas Bukharis, this is the critical moment that we've been waiting for. Gam Tsoinchem, Gam Bekarchem, Kichu. Take your sheep, take your cattle, kasher, dibartem. Emphasis on dibartem, like you said. He says it twice. Kedaberchem, as you spoken, kasher dibartem, as you, as, as were your words. Go. What's, what's, what, what's lying behind the scenes in that statement? Kedaberchem and dibartem? Exactly as we were saying. He's releasing the Yidden on God's terms, not on his terms. The Rebbeinashulaylam's ideas, not his own ideas. He's submitting himself to Hashem. Yielding to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's will, and we finally have what we wanted—the Gaiva of Paro, going to Anava, him uh, uh, presenting himself as an authority, someone who is inherently to be respected, uh, inherently better than everyone else. Saying, "No, really, I am also someone who is just here because of God, whose existence is dependent on God, and I'm not the one calling the shots. It's not my terms. I yield to God Himself." Then we're ready for the Yidin to go. Now we're ready for everyone to leave Mitzrayim. And now we're ready to sing at the Yamsuf, Ashir Lashem Ki Go'oi Go'o. And as Uncle says, we said before, Mizgoy Al Gave Sanaya, Hashem displayed to the whole world that the greatest of the haughtiest, the proudest of the prideful, Paro, even he needs to submit to God, even he really is exposed as someone who is also dependent on the Rebbe Shalom because he used the true Gaiva, true pride, 
belongs only to the Rebbeinu Shulaylam, and this is what's going on over here in Parshas Boy, the culmination of what we th- saw through Shemais and Boira, and uh, that's that, Rabbi. Says everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos, Shabbos of clarity, a Shabbos of happiness, and Mitzvah um, Shem. We will continue uh, Der Hashem tomorrow morning. Thank you all for joining.